0: What's up and welcome to the Ask Father Josh Show, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and, and hopefully uh, respond to them in such a way that helps you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and your walk toward eternity. Here's so the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from church teachings, evangelization, discipleship, catechesis, relationship advice, uh, morality, spirituality. Uh, justice, charity questions, whatever, I will sit with them, pray with them, study them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's, again, good for you to grow in your relationship with God. But my disclaimer is this, and has always been this, I ain't perfect. Therefore, the advice that I share with you might not be good for you. If that's the case, then please reject whatever it is that I say that doesn't help you to grow in your relationship with our Lord. But if my advice is helpful, but it's difficult, then I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer and study and uh, worship and fellowship and service to the poorest of the poorest so that God can give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship over time in your walk toward eternity. If you are a first time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.assitchopress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell out A S K F A T H E R J O S H. You can also stay in touch with me through my books, uh, Broken and Blessed, Pocket Guide to Adoration, and Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and you can tune into our YouTube show on the Institute Presents YouTube channel, the Ask Father Josh Show, which is different from the podcast. On the show, I only answer one question. On the podcast, I answer multiple questions, and we can continue to walk with each other in that way. On today's podcast, I'm going to answer these questions, praying for souls in purgatory. Why do we do it? Uh St. Michael the Archangel, how is he a saint if he was never a human? And who was Jesus before the incarnation? But before we get into those really good topics, questions, I want to share with you a glory story. My glorious story is this. This past week, as in last week, uh, I was able to go to the Encounter Conference. I think I mentioned it on last week's show that that's where I was going to be. It was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was cold. It was snowing. I'm from Louisiana. I don't deal with the snow well, but it was so beautiful. Man, y'all, it was so good. It was such a good conference. Many of you know my conversion happened at Steubenville South in 2004, and I've been a part of the charismatic renewal ever since on and off, been more active, less active during certain years of my, my life, since my conversion. And, and over the years, I mean, I've honestly seen some really mature expressions of the charismatic renewal and a lot of immature expressions of the charismatic renewal. And I think those of you who've been involved in the charismatic renewal, you know what I'm talking about. There are some people who are just very immature in the way they express the gifts and talk about the gifts and talk about the Lord and... And prayer and all that jazz. And so, anyways, I'm always a little hesitant whenever I go to charismatic events because I've seen some really good events put on and I've seen some really poorly, poorly established events that have harmed people in some pretty serious ways. I must say, I went to the Encounter Conference. Shout out to everybody who's on the Encounter team. It was so mature. It was a very, very mature expression of the charismatic renewal. Father Matthias, I don't know you, but I praise God for you, my brother. I'm very edified by the work that the Spirit of God has done through you and is doing through you and your ministry. So if y'all know Father Matthias, please tell him that I was at his his conference that he put on, and I was very much edified by what I experienced by uh, the people on his team who I prayed with and who I was ministered to by. I was able to receive. For everyone who I met, I met a lot of my listeners, at the conference. And so it was a gift to meet y'all. I am grateful for the feedback that you have shared with me uh, during the week about the podcast and the way that it's affected you and your faith and your relationship with Jesus. But I I would say one particular glory story happened whenever I prayed with a guy named uh, named Matt Lozano. Matt Lozano is Neil Lozano's son. Neil Lozano wrote that book Unbound, which I've read since I was in seminary. So I've, I've, I've been familiar with their work for a long time. Matt prayed with me. And he had an image when he prayed with me, and I'll share that with y'all. The image was this. Uh, he said, I just feel like the Father. And he didn't even know who I was. Like, I didn't have my, my, my name uh, visible. So he was just praying with this random priest. And so it wasn't until after we prayed that we talked, and he said, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so when we were praying, uh, he was like, yeah, I just, I just see the Father. Like, God the Father just looking at you and saying, that's my boy as you write, and as you speak, and as you preach. And obviously, I'm a writer. I have a bunch of books out. And so... The reason why that word was so meaningful to me is because A few weeks ago, I was celebrating Mass at at Immaculate Conception in Scotlandville. Shout out to Immaculate Conception. It's one of our uh, predominantly uh, black Catholic parishes in my diocese. It's what's called a particular parish. So particular parishes are Latin mass parishes, are uh, Hispanic apostolate parishes, are uh, parishes that are um, uh, set apart for predominantly black Catholic communities. Obviously, anyone can go there, white people, black people, brown people, whoever, but it's like a safe place for Black Catholics to go, where they know they're not going to hear a homily from a priest who might get up there and say something ridiculous. Which, unfortunately, sometimes my brothers do that. And so, I was at this church and I was celebrating Mass. Um, and my dad came. My dad, as many of you know, he is an African American Episcopalian, A.M.E. Methodist. Um, so uh, he is not Catholic, but he came to the Mass because I'm his son, and he, he just loves me, and so he came to Mass. And and at the at most predominantly black Catholic churches, the pastor at in a mass will say, if you are a visitor, uh, please stand up so we can all greet you and tell us who you are, where you're from. And my dad stood up and he said, my name is Aaron Johnson, and that's my boy. That's my son. And because he was just so proud of me. And um, And so whenever... Uh, Matt Lozano got that word of the father saying, like, that's my boy, that's my son, as I'm preaching and teaching and writing. I was like, man, like my dad literally just did that in front of an entire church. So it was a, a beautiful, beautiful gift to receive that, that blessing. And I I received that and I was very grateful. But you know, it was overall. It was a very, very good conference. It was very mature. And I'm definitely open to going back to receiving more. They um there's also a woman named Barbara Heil who spoke. She's a recent convert, and man, this woman. She has an anointing on her. So if you know Barbara Heil, tell her I want to be friends with her and I want to pray with her some more because that woman is special in the body of Christ. Uh, with that being said, let's get some feedback. Feedback comes in from Anonymous saying this. I was given a serious medical diagnosis the other day that my asthma had become COPD and I have never smoked. I looked on YouTube Essential Presents because I was very distraught and I found your show on suffering, healing, and mental health. Your show helped me to focus on the suffering of Jesus and remember that Jesus will be with me throughout this journey, Anonymous. Yes, he will. And I'm so grateful that the show was able to be a blessing for you, Anonymous. I would pray for you right now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God, I ask right now that you bless this person who is experiencing um, asthma right now. Holy Spirit, overshadow this beloved child of yours. Be with them. Remind them of your presence with them while they are awake and while they are asleep, God. We also know that nothing is impossible for you, and so if it be your will, I ask that you heal this beloved child of yours. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Be totally healed. If it is your plan for this beloved child to continue to suffer a little bit longer for their sanctification, then I ask that you give them the graces to suffer well with Jesus Christ crucified we ask this prayer father god through our lord jesus christ your son who lives and reigns with you and holy spirit god forever and ever and now let's jump into today's show First question comes in from Amy Joe. Amy Joe, that was the name, I believe, of the pink Power Ranger on Power Rangers. Remember that that show, Go Go Power Rangers? Mm, 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 mm. She was the pink Power Ranger. She. So I remember I was like in man, I was in elementary school when Power Rangers came out, and uh, there was the Black Ranger, the Blue Ranger, the Yellow Ranger, the Pink Ranger, and the Green Ranger, and then and then there was like uh, wait Black red, blue, yellow, pink. Then, yeah, green came later. That was Tommy. And then t- the green turned into white. Yeah, man, that show used to go hard. I remember that show. And then they had a movie. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Hey, something's coming up and it burst my bubble. Uh-oh. Remember that movie that came out too with the ooze? Man, that show was so good. Anyways, Amy Joe says this. What... A- are we praying for when we pray for loved ones who are in purgatory? If a person needs to be purified, how does our prayer help to speed that process? I'm generally struggling with the concept of purgatory and its biblical basis. After attending a wake recently, I wasn't able to give a good explanation to my kids about what our faith teaches about the next steps for our deceased family member. Thank you for your thoughts, Amy Joe. All right, so Amy Joe, great question. Well, let's first start with the document that the church gives us called the Bible. The Bible has a book in it, in the very end of the Bible called Revelation. And Revelation teaches us that nothing unclean can enter into heaven. And so who of us is perfectly clean whenever we end our time on earth? Our pilgrimage I mean, certainly Mary was, but not too many of us are. Some of us are perfectly clean at the point of death because we've done our penises on earth and everything. And, and, and for those people, they will go straight to heaven. But most of us are not. And it, unless someone calls me a heretic, For claiming that some people will go straight to heaven when they die and bypass purgatory, let's go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. 14.72 teaches this, a conversion which proceeds from a fervent charity can attain the complete purification of the sinner in such a way that no punishment would remain. So they won't be purified after death. But for most of us, we are purified after death. And so uh, to be cleaned, we're purified by the blood of Christ after death, or the process that we call purgatory. This is just a name that we made up in the church to speak about this teaching that is found in the book of Revelation. It's similar to the word Trinity. That's nowhere in the Bible. The word Trinity is not biblical at all. However, the teaching of the Trinity is biblical, that there is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we give that teaching the word Trinity And Pretty much every Christian accepts the teaching of the Trinity and the name of the Trinity. They're even naming their churches Trinity Episcopalian Church or Trinity Baptist Church, right? But the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But it's a word that the Catholic Church gave to describe the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Likewise, the word purgatory describes the purification process that God does cleanse us through in our journey to being drawn to the kingdom of heaven. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, that big Green Book, it affirms that like the people who are in purgatory, like, they are assured of their to salvation in heaven. So like when you die, you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. If you go to heaven, most likely you're going to go through the process of being cleansed by the grace of God through purgatory. It's like taking a really hot shower or, in our case on earth, a really cold shower. So to be in purgatory means that the person that died, died in a state of grace as friends with God. So if you die in a state of mortal sin, you go to hell. If you die in a state of venial sin, you go to heaven, Uh, but you need to be purified on your way to heaven. The Catechism goes on to teach that our prayers for them, the souls in purgatory, is capable not only of helping them get to heaven, but also making their intercession for us effective. This is in paragraph 958. So their intercession for us becomes more effective the more holier they become. The book of James teaches us in James 5.16 that the prayer of a righteous man— or woman, has great power in its effects. So we don't just pray for them because they're going to be intercessors for us, though they will once they become more righteous by the grace of God, through purgatory, by entering heaven, seeing God in the vision, right? They become like the most righteous ever. But we also pray for them because, allegedly, um, (laughs) According to some of the mystics of the church, allegedly, it's like Wendy Williams, allegedly, you always got to say that, right, so you don't get sued. Allegedly, what I, had what I happened was, uh, what I heard is that purgatory might be a little uncomfortable. Um, and our prayers, if we are righteous, so that means we are also striving for holiness. We are in a state of grace. We are avoiding the near occasion of even venial sins. The more righteous we are the quicker we can get them out, get out of purgatory. Why do they want to get out of purgatory? Cause I mean, obviously if you're going, if you're in purgatory, it means like you, you've been saved, like you're going to heaven. Well, because according to some of the mystics like St. Bridget of Sweden and many others, they suggest, and again, they are not dogma, like what they say, they're just mystics who we listen to, but you don't have to, if you don't want to, but you know, you can, I do. Uh, they suggest that purgatory can be really, really intense. <laughs> like really, really intense. One time uh, she was brought to pur- purgatory, allegedly. Um, and while she was there, she saw this this woman who ha- was, you know, she died in a state of grace. She died a friend of God. Uh, she was not in mortal sin, deadly sin. Uh, so she was on her way to heaven, but she was going through the process of purgatory. And she told St. Bridget, uh, she, you know, she said, look, before I died, I I confessed my sins because I wanted to escape hell. Like she believed in the power of the sacrament of reconciliation, which is super powerful. If you haven't gone lately, you should definitely go. But she said, but now I suffer here to expiate the worldly life that my mother did not prevent me from leading. She said, this head, which loved to be adorned, and which sought to draw the attention of others is now devoured with flames within and without. And these flames are so violent that every moment it seems to me that I must die. These shoulders, these arms, which I love to see admired, are cruelly bound in chains of red hot iron. These feet, formerly trained for the dance, are now surrounded with vipers that tear them with their fangs and soil them with their filthy slime. All these members, which I have adorned with jewels, flowers, and, and other ornaments, are now a prey to the most horrible torture Ah, don't sound too much fun, right? So in purgatory, she's literally experienced like this, like, oh, uh, purification, purification, because she was so attached to the comforts and pleasures of the world and the opinions of others that now she's being purified of, of being attached to navel gazing, right? So We, if we are in a state of grace, if we are righteous, our prayers are also really effective and our prayers can help our brothers and sisters get out of the punishment of purgatory, purification of purgatory and enter into the kingdom of heaven. And one of the bonuses, and we don't do it for this bonus, but one of the bonuses is that once they become super righteous, right, because they're the beatific vision, then their prayers would be more effective for us as well. And they could be intercessors to help us to experience as much of our purgatory on earth before we even die. So that's hopefully a little helpful and not too scary uh, of our teaching on purgatory. All right, <clears throat> next question comes in from Peter. Peta writes about St. Michael the Archangel, someone who never experienced purgatory because he is an angel. Peter writes this, uh, Father Josh, can you explain St. Michael the Archangel? If he is an angel, how is he a saint? I thought the saints were fully human and that the reason we venerate them and ask for their prayers on our behalf is that they are like us, born with original sin and tempted as we are, but they have demonstrated a holy and a venerable path for us to emulate. How does an angel or an archangel fit this model? Peter? Peter, that's a great question. So, yes, some saints the church defines as those who were humans, who were descendants of Adam and Eve, like our brothers and sisters, like us who persevered by the grace of God and and remained in relationship with Jesus Christ uh, on earth and therefore are with him now in heaven. But biblically, a saint is anybody who is, is is a Christian and anybody who's set apart, who's holy. So there's like different kinds of saints, right? There's a, a Christian in the New Testament, it's called a saint. In our, in our church, in practice, we call those who've been canonized saints, right? Who've been through the process of beatification. But also the word saint in our churches Lingo is used to describe any being that is in heaven. So whether it's an angel or whether it is a uh, a holy soul who has been purified by the grace of God through purgatory, we call those people saints. So because Michael and Gabriel and Raphael, these three archangels, are in heaven, we call them Saint Michael and Saint Raphael and Saint Gabriel, just as we call the Brothers and sisters who are humans who persevere by the grace of God and are in the in, in beatific vision right now as well. Saint Peter, Saint Paul, Saint Mary Magdalene, Saint Martha, etc. Uh, but also like you, we would call Moses Saint Moses and Elijah Saint Elijah, right? So they they aren't properly uh, have been through like the the process that many of our current brothers and sisters are going through, but because we know they're in heaven, uh, they're saints. So even those Old Testament figures are saints as well. And so, yeah, anybody that's in heaven is uh, called saint, whether you're an angel or a human person. Uh, We are saints when we are in heaven. With that being said, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into our final question about somebody else who's in heaven, Jesus. But we're going to talk about, like, Who was Jesus before he took on flesh? Stay tuned. Do you find it difficult to enter into the mysteries of the Rosary? What about personally applying them to your life? Drawing from the writings of the saints, the Bible, and Catholic tradition, Matt Fratt has produced Pocket Guide to the Rosary, a masterful work that teaches Catholics how to truly meditate on the mysteries of the Rosary how to pray the rosary like the saints, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your prayer life and improve the way you pray what St. Padre Pio called the weapon of our times, we invite you to check out Pocket Guide to the Rosary by Matt Frad. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back. Remember, you can... Hit me up with your own questions at www.assisturepress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell it A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and uh, Google Play and Spotify and all of the podcast outlets. This helps other people to find out about the show. And you can also please share us on your social media pages, on the Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook so that other people can find out about the show. If it's been a blessing for you, potentially, it could be a blessing for them as well. Last question comes in from Jennifer. Jennifer, uh, I used to have a crush on a woman named Jennifer Lopez back in the day when I was in high school. Uh, Jennifer says this, So we know that God operates outside of time as we know it and that Jesus was not created. It is also my understanding that John chapter 1 verse 1 through 5 describes Jesus as the word that was with God and was God, but I'm a bit confused on the form that Jesus existed in before his earthly birth. We are taught that his divinity and his humanity are so intertwined that it's a complete union between the two. Before his earthly birth, was Jesus just the divine part of himself and therefore did not have his human aspects or because he can operate outside of time as we know it? Did he always have his human body and soul and therefore always have a perfect unity between his divinity and humanity or did he exist in some other way that I'm not thinking of prior to his incarnation? I hope the question makes sense. It still only kind of makes sense in my own head. In my head... Jennifer, that is a great question. So, yeah, let's do a little quick theology. Before the incarnation, the Son was pure spirit, just as the Father is a pure spirit. The Father doesn't have a body. He ain't got no body. The Holy Spirit is a pure spirit. Jesus Christ did not have a human body uh, before the incarnation. So he was just pure. Pure Spirit, the divine person Jesus was just a pure spirit. It was only when the incarnation happened that he, you know, became male. That he took on the 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 masculine body. Um, before that, he didn't have a gender. Right um, before the incarnation, Jesus was always what he is now, the second person of the most holy Trinity. He was always the Son of God from all eternity. In First John, like you said, four nine, we read that the love of God was made manifest among us. And that God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. He was always the second person of the most holy trinity. Uh, He was always the son. So when he entered the world through the incarnation, because of Mary's yes to the angel Gabriel's invitation, he was sent to the world as the, the son of God. Jesus Christ is one person. He is a divine person who has two natures. This is what we call the hypostatic union. When the Incarnation happened 2,000 plus years ago, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, he acquired the human nature, right? So ever since then, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity now possesses two natures, right? Two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. But this human nature and divine nature subsist within the one divine person. The natures don't mix, right? They're, they're, they're separate. His divine nature remains what it is and always has been divine. His human nature is human. They are distinct. And at the same time, they're joined together in the divine person, Jesus Christ. At the incarnation, the second person of the most holy Trinity, he, I guess we could say he, he added a human nature, which he did not have before, but the divine person did not change, at all, like his his es- his essence is still like the divine. There's only one person, divine person, is Jesus, who has a human nature uh, now um, and has always had a divine nature. So, like uh, Saint Ignatius of Antioch in the year 110, he he says Jesus Christ was with the Father before the beginning of time, and um, and in the end was revealed. So he was always there um, as a spirit. In incarnation, he added a human nature to his. To his divine person, so but the human nature is distinct from the divine nature. Uh, yeah, again, it's a mystery. So if it's a little confusing, I understand. But at the end, just keep in mind one one God, right? Three persons. The second person is one person, a divine person who has two natures: a divine nature and a human nature. So that was our little theology course for the day. With that being said. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, we want more of you. We want more of you, God. We want more of your mind. We want more of your heart. We want more. We want more of your eyes to see what you see, more of your ears to hear what you hear, more of your mouth to speak the words you desire for us to speak, God. We want more of you, God. So, Give us the grace to experience more of your love this year in our walk toward eternity to so not ever settle for mediocrity and anything less than you. We want all of you. We want all of you. We want all of you. Do with us what you want, God. This is your body, and we give up your body the way you want it to be given up, God. It's your will. It's your way. It's your time in our walk toward eternity. We ask this prayer in your most holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Until I see you next time, I will see you in the Eucharist.